0: Well, as uh, Stephen said, uh, I'm the Brian Palmer, and I am the pastor at Rio Church. Um, we did launch very recently, uh, actually January 7th. Um, we meet on Saturday nights, and so um, that's why I'm able to be here with you guys. And that's kind of a fun thing, and I really enjoy it. Um, and uh, And so I'm excited to get to share God's Word with you here this morning. Um, but before we do that, I, I've met some of you, but I haven't met all of you. And so I thought it might be a good idea to share a little bit about me so that you guys can kind of, we can be more comfortable together. Is that cool with you guys? You all right with that? Okay, good, good. Um, well, I, I am a married man, very happily married for almost four years, and my better half, her name is Arie. Um she could not be here this morning, but I promise you I married up with that girl, uh, I did, um, she is too good for me, um, we don't have kids yet. Um, We want kids, uh, but we we don't have any yet. In the meantime, we have two dogs um, named Winston and Bailey. Um, They sound like a law firm, don't they? Winston and Bailey, dogs at law. Um, They're Jack Russell Terriers. Yeah. See, you guys know. You've had an encounter or two, haven't you? Yes, they have way more energy than I do. And um, if only we could harness that, we could solve a lot of problems. Um, I'm originally from Roswell. Anybody from Roswell? Yeah, live long and prosper. What's up? I see you. Yes, there we go. Roswell, um, it it smells better in Albuquerque than it does in Roswell, um, but that's okay. Um, Something else uh, uh, about me is I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. Do we have any in the house? All right, I love you guys. I'm going to go, I'm going to say hi to them afterwards. That's where I'll be. I'm going to find um, you know, what's funny though about me being a Seattle Seahawks fan is that I grew up and my family is a baseball family Okay, and so I, I played baseball. I was uh, uh, Still am short And so they put me at second base because I couldn't I couldn't throw very far But I love baseball and i'm decent at playing baseball, but I just I can't watch it on tv There's like 167,000 games every season and I just I, I, I fall asleep, and and I was really interested in football. And so one day I was just like, I'm done not being a football fan. And I decided to pick a team. And I get this, I picked based on jersey color, I did. And I got lucky enough to pick a good team, right? And and so this was a couple of years ago. And so I picked the Seattle Seahawks. And and I am I'm here to declare before you today, I am a Seattle Seahawks fan unashamedly, and I'm a real fan. Because they are not going to the Super Bowl this year, so I'm not a bandwagoner. I see, I'm a real fan. Um, I, I like that. But but one more thing about me before we kind of get into this, and I'm hoping this ties into what I, I want to talk about today is I'm a nerd. Any other nerds in the house? Yeah, Star Wars. Rogue One was amazing. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, I'll pray for you. Okay, um, it's pretty good. Uh, I love Star Wars. Lord of the Rings um, was the first like full series I ever read. Uh, All of these comic book movies coming out, I am all about that. Love this stuff. It is a lot of fun. Um, But speaking of comic books and superheroes and that kind of thing, my favorite superhero is Spider-Man. Any other Spider-Man fans in here? No, Web-Slinger fan right over here. Okay, good, good. I love. Spider-Man, he's just so cool, I mean, flying through and, you know, shooting webs, catching bad guys, taking pictures, all that kind of stuff, and, and um, you know, I, I, it got me to thinking, right, about superheroes and how a lot of the time we look at the superhero, someone like Spider-Man, and we see this guy that he looks perfect, you know, super strong, fighting crime, doing what's right, and, and what we sometimes forget is that behind the mask is a real person, Right? Yeah, I, I, and again, it, fictional people, but uh, behind the mask, there's, there's a person. In, in uh, Spider-Man's case, I, I think I like Spider-Man so much because he's so relatable. You know, behind the mask, he's just this skinny high school kid trying to make it in the world. If you just look at Spider-Man, he, he looks awesome and amazing like he has no problems in the world. But if you look behind the mask and you see Peter Parker, you know Peter Parker has some problems. You know, he doesn't know how to talk to Mary Jane You know, he he has homework, he has to deliver pizzas. Meanwhile, he wants to be a photographer, and you know he's got all of these issues going on. And and even deeper than that, if you were to look at Spider-Man, you would also know that Spider-Man, the superhero, has this secret identity, right? You would know that that Spider-Man, the the person of Spider-Man, doesn't want you to know, doesn't want anyone really to know that he is actually Peter Parker. He has this identity he wants to keep secret. And you see throughout all of the comics and the movies and all that kind of thing, he has this struggle to protect his identity. And he goes through great lengths to keep his identity as a secret. Now, he has a good reason to keep his identity as a secret. His reason to keep his identity a secret is if his enemies knew who he really was, then his enemies could hurt his friends, and he doesn't want that. So he does everything that he can to keep his identity a secret. Well, I kind of want to talk about secrets that we keep today. Again, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he has a good reason to keep his, his identity a secret. But sometimes we have secrets that we keep that are messy kinds of secrets. Secrets that we don't want people to know about. Secrets that will go to great lengths to keep secrets. Right? Yeah, if you would, turn to um, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going we're to discover a man um, who has some secrets that he wants to keep. And he's willing to go through great lengths to keep those secrets as a secret. But the good news about secrets and messy secrets in particular is that god loves messy people right god loves messy people even people that keep secrets that make a mess of their lives and destroy them and that's good news to us because every last one of us is a mess if we're going to be honest all of us are a mess all of us are sinners all of us have messy paths all of us need the the forgiveness that god has provided to us through his son that's the gospel right that we are a mess. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life. He then came and he died on a cross to pay for our debt. And then he rose again to new life. And any who put their trust in him, he cleans up their mess, so to speak. He gives them eternal life in the forgiveness they so desperately need. This is the gospel. I think my favorite verse ever is 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love that. That's the gospel. And that's the good news. And that's going to really, really, truly apply and kind of shine through in the story that we're about to read, this gospel, that even though this character we're about to be introduced to, that you guys know all about, I'm sure, but as we read about him, we're going to see that he is a mess on the inside, but that God meets him in that mess and loves him despite it. So, with no further ado, hopefully you have figured out um, that we are talking about King David, okay? 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you snuck uh, ahead and you looked at what we're going to read here in just a minute, you know we're talking about King David. We've all heard of King David, right? And he is the guy that beat the giant Goliath, and we know all about King David. But um, let's just kind of recap a little bit about King David. He, he's actually kind of like Spider-Man, just a little bit. Because whenever we first meet him, he's just a skinny kid, Right? And, and you know he kind of rises to power uh, because you know, something happens to him outside of his control, and he just kind of goes with it, right? So he is a little bit like, like King David, but um, King David um, is like Spider-Man too in that he is going to have a secret that he keeps. But we'll get to that here in a minute. King David, if you look through the Bible, he is a golden boy. Okay, he is just the golden boy. He has a heart of gold. He has a great reputation. It, it, the first time we are introduced to David, we don't even know his name yet. And in, in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 is the first time we hear about King David. And it says this about him. It says that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people. How do you like that to be your introduction to the Bible? A man after God's own heart. That sounds good, man. I hope that's what's said about me. I mean, so he, it's already, he's starting off pretty good, right? That's how we first are introduced to David. And then um, after that, in 1 Samuel 16, you, we get introduced to him again as it records God himself choosing him to be the king over Israel, his chosen people. One chapter later, David becomes the biggest, baddest warrior in all of Israel by killing the giant Goliath. In his spare time, he also kills, you know, lions and bears. You know, lions, giants, bears, oh my, right? Like he's, he is hardcore and all the dudes love him because he's so hardcore. I imagine he has an awesome beard, kind of like Stephen. You know, I just, I bet. So I mean, like all the guys like him because he's hardcore. He's a man's man. He, he fights bears, right? Like that's manly, okay? You can't tell me anything different. If you fight bears, you're pretty manly. But the ladies liked him, too, because he was a hottie with a body, let me tell you. All right. And I'm not making this up. Okay, if you were to look at how the NIV translation of the Bible describes him, it describes him as, get this, as glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. I know it might sound like it's describing me, but it's actually David. The NLT says that he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Right? Like, this guy sounds good, doesn't he? On top of that, the ladies actually sang songs about him. You guys know that? He had like a fangirl group that like, like sang for him. In First in uh, uh, Samuel eighteen seven, it says this. It says that the women sang to one another as they celebrated, saying, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So like Saul's all right, but David, whoo. Right? <laughs> That's kind of how they were. So you get this picture in the Bible of King David being this heartthrob with a heart of gold. And that was his reputation. That's what when people saw him, that's what they saw. But as we're going to discover underneath that mask, underneath all that shine, underneath that reputation, David had some pretty dark secrets. No one does good. Not even one. Not even David. Even though it looks like he can't do anything wrong, he can. He had a very clean exterior. But in the story that we're about to read today, uh, we're going to take a look behind that mask. We're going to see the darkness that he was hiding. But we're also going to get to see the gospel in action. And I think that that's really cool. In the middle of his mess, we will see how much God loves this man despite his secret sins. And listen, I would venture to say that there are people here today that if we're honest, we are hiding messes too. Sorry. We have things that we're trying to hide. See, I would venture to say that there's some people that that whenever you look at them, they look squeaky clean, heart of gold. They look great. But if only we knew what they were really struggling with. If only we knew what you were really going through. You wouldn't feel so good. Right? So I think that As we look into this, we're going to find out that all of us are a little bit like King David. That all of us have some secret sins. All of us have some things that we want to protect. All of us on some level feel the need to cover up our sins and not let anyone else know about it. And as we read this story, I want us to pay attention. Because I think that not only will we get to take a look behind the mask of David, but I think that if you listen, God might reveal something in your own heart we'll get to see that we are all a mess but we'll also see that just as the gospel works in David's life it so will work in our hearts and our lives as well. Okay, so let's start it out. First or second Samuel chapter 1 verse 1. It says in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, stop there for now. We'll get through it, I promise. Um, have you ever guys watched like a, like a scary movie? And as you're watching the scary movie, the bad guy's like chasing the girl, and the girl's trying to get away, and, and she's running around, and she runs into the basement. You guys ever seen this? Right? And, and, and as you're watching this, you ever just been like, what are you doing? Like, do you want to get caught? Like, is that what you want? Do you want to get caught? Because if you, if you want to get caught, you run to the one room that has no other escape route. Like, that's, that's what you do right? When I read verse 1, that's what I see happening for David. When I read verse 1, I'm like, David, what are you doing, man? You are setting yourself up for failure. What are you doing? See, because here's the thing. David stayed home alone. It says everyone else went out to battle. The only people that stayed behind were the people David paid, so you can know for sure, since he's paying them to do whatever he asks, they're not going to say anything. They're not going to hold him accountable. Anybody that can do that for David is gone. And David, you know, on top of that, he has nothing to do. I mean, he, the one thing he's supposed to do, because that's what kings do, is go out to battle. And he didn't do that. So he stays behind. Everyone that can hold him accountable is gone. And he has nothing to do. And look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, it happened. Okay, stop. (laughs) It happened. Okay, it is um, the secret sin. Okay? And all of us have an it, all right? I don't know what it is, and we're going to find out what it is for David here in a minute. But all of us here in this room, we have an it. It represents that secret sin, that one thing that we don't want anyone else to know about. That's what it is. Okay, so I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is. God's underlining that in your heart, I'm sure. But that's what it is. It is that sin that we are scared of other people finding out. It is that sin that causes us to to well up with guilt, you know, when we think about it. That's what it is. Okay, and so it starts out and it says, it happened. And then it continues on, okay? And it says that it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, probably after binge-watching an entire season of Friends. He got bored of that and he got done. And so he gets up off his couch and he wants to take a walk. It says, when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house, he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Okay, that's not it yet. It hasn't happened. Just seeing this woman is not a sin. Okay, he, he, just by seeing her, he has nothing to be ashamed of. And seriously, who takes a bath on the roof? Come on. What is she doing? Okay, so this is not a problem here. Not yet, okay? He could avert his eyes. He could begin to pray. He could do any number of things, and that would not be a sin. But that's not what he does. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So instead of praying, instead of going back inside, instead of saying, hey, I can see you, anything. Instead of doing that, he calls one of his servants says, you see her. Look at that. Who is that? And it's, so he doesn't stop looking. He doesn't avert his eyes. He continues to look. Definition of lust, right? You see it and you keep looking. That's what David did. Then verse 4. Verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and then she returned to her house. So that's it. Okay, This is David's it. He committed adultery. He slept with someone that was not his wife. In fact, she committed adultery too because Uriah the Hittite was her husband, so they both committed adultery together. And listen... When you're David and you're the golden boy, and you have the reputation that David had, adultery doesn't look good on your MO, okay? That's not a good thing. And so that is the it. Now at this point, you know, David, maybe he has something going through his head. Maybe he's like, you know what, maybe no one knows, you know? Maybe the maybe no one knows. Maybe I won't get caught. She went home. Maybe it was just a one night thing and and I could just kind of move on from here. I'll just tell God I won't do it again and maybe it'll just kind of fade off into the distance, right? Anyone else been there? Done something you know you shouldn't have done that. But, you know, maybe no one knows. You know, maybe I can keep it as a secret. Maybe if I just pretend like it didn't happen, it didn't happen, right? Well, I think that's where David is, but Unfortunately, from David's perspective, um, that changes for him. It gets worse. Look at verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So now David's little secret has a shelf life of about nine months before anyone and everyone is going to know that David is a sinner. So David did what any person would do he panicked i mean he did he absolutely panicked and and i don't know if what he got into is maybe he started thinking about all of the bad things that would happen if if it came to light what he had done maybe he convinced himself that the 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 consequences of what we're going to come because of, of them knowing what he'd done was going to be worse than, than just admitting it. Maybe he started thinking about um, you know, all the people who would, would be disappointed in him. Maybe he started thinking, "Oh, they're going to kick me off the throne after this. I don't know what he was thinking, but either way, he panics, and he starts to go down a road that he never, ever should have gone down. And he begins to try and cover up his sin. Verse 6, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Okay, this is just part of David's plot. He doesn't need to know how the war is going. He already knows how the war is going. And in reality, he should have just gone to the war himself, right? But he, he doesn't need to, this is a ploy, he doesn't need to know how the war is going. He can talk to Joab anytime he wants. He knows what's happening. He just wants Uriah to come. He wants Uriah to show up because he has a plan for Uriah. Now keep reading here in verse 8. It says, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. Just really quick, go wash your feet is... It's kind of just a term that everyone would have understand. Um, go home to your wife. That's kind of what he's saying. Okay. Now, verse 9. It says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to your, his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Are you crazy? Your wife is she's smoking, man. Verse 11, Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. (laughs) Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that, they made him, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. So David's trying really hard here to get Uriah to go home to his wife. Because here's David's plan to cover things up. David thinks, okay, if Uriah goes home and he does with his wife what husbands and wives do, then no one's going to suspect me as the father. That's what he thinks. That's a pretty smart plan. I mean, it makes sense. No one's going to have reason to suspect David. if you're, Everyone knows Uriah came home. Everyone knows he went into Bathsheba. But Uriah is such a good dude, he doesn't want to go and enjoy something that he doesn't feel like he should enjoy because Everyone else doesn't get to have that privilege, and so he is. On, I'm on mission here. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this thing because I don't think it's time for that. And so he absolutely. And he probably made David feel bad. You know, this Uriah, the Hittite. You know, he's not even. He's been invited go and do this thing, and and he's got. He's more committed to his country than the king is, right? So David probably feels like a schmuck. And David his plan fails just it absolutely tanks and so david he gets even more desperate to try and no longer just cover it up he just wants to make it go away and so he goes even further down this road and it's even darker than it was before check out verse 14 it says Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is also dead. So just as some clarification here, there's a lot going on. Is, that, is my mic being funny? Yeah. I wasn't sure. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, you really couldn't hear me before, could you? Dang. All right. Good thing I talk loud. Um, anyways, so what we find here is, is David sins, and he has this plot. His plot is to, to get Uriah killed. He plans murder on Uriah. And he says to Joab, he says, listen, I want you to send Uriah out into the battle. I want you to send him into the thickest part of it, and then I want you to abandon him there. So that he dies. Murder. Now, Joab does what he's asked, but other people die in the process. I mean, there's so much we could say about this. David's one sin, his one decision has led to many people dying now at this point. Now, that, that's not even the main point here, though, but, but I mean, that's, that's something we can take from that, right? But David does this, and, and, and Uriah dies as he planned, but so does a bunch of other people. And now, Joab doesn't want to take the fall for this, so he says to this, this servant, this messenger, he says, Listen, tell David that I did what he asked, but I'm not so good that I could just make it to where only Uriah dies. Other people died, too. So don't get mad at me, David. I was just following your orders, Right, He sends the messenger, and in verse 22 it says, So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. You guys see the hardness of heart he has there? Goodness. The golden boy is looking worse. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. People die. That's what he just said. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David sealed the deal. He had just gotten away with adultery. He tied up all the loose ends, although he had to commit murder in order to accomplish it, but he had done it. His secret sin remains a sin. His golden boy status and reputation remains unscathed. He still gets to look good. In fact, he comes out of this deal looking better than before. He comes out of this with a new wife and a baby on the way. Man, good for David, right? So on the outside, he looks great, doesn't he? He looks awesome. Relatively few people, maybe Joab suspects something else going on here, but relatively few people really know what's going on. He looks good on the outside, but on the inside... He's a mess. And on the inside, we know that this was eating him alive. Many people know, uh, believe that Psalm 32 was, was written by David at this period in his life. And here's what he writes. Verses 3 and 4, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Outside, everything was fine. On the inside, he was wasting away. You ever been there? You ever been in that place where you've done something no one else knows about, but you can't get it out of your head, and it's eating you up? That's where David is. You said there's probably many people that have been down a similar road. Maybe you've done something, and you went through great lengths to hide your sin so that no one else would know about it. Maybe there was some unexpected side effects to what you had done but you got away with it. Maybe you had to sin just a little bit more just to keep the first sin a secret. Maybe you got away with it. Maybe you're in this room today and and you are just getting eaten up by guilt. Maybe your secret sin is keeping you from approaching the throne of grace. I don't know. Maybe that's just where you are at this moment. Now, rest assured, God still allows David to be called a man after God's own heart. But let's not forget that in this moment right here where we're reading this story, David is absolutely a lying, adultering, deceitful murderer. That's who David is. He's a mess. And he was trying to go on. He was trying to keep a straight face. He was trying to you know, um, keep all of these things you know, from everyone else. Um, but he was a secret sinner on the inside, shiny on the outside, a mess on the inside. So what's God going to do with him? You know, how, how is God going to handle him? Where's the gospel? You know, When we are this person, how is God going to deal with us and our secret sins? Well, in chapter 12, we find out. Look at chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Stop for a second, and then we'll read the rest. So here it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And... David has a story for, or Nathan has a story for David. And and so it says that he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler that came to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives and as the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So let's just stop for a second. Here's what happens. David has already done this horrible thing. He's already got this secret sin. It's eating him alive. No one else knows about it. God sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet says, hey, I've got a story to tell you. There's a rich man, lots of sheep, poor man, one sheep. And the poor man has one little sheep. It's like his daughter. It's like Winston, my dog. It's like his his pet. That is... His one thing like ate from the table with them like it was his pet and and this rich man who had a ton of sheep Had a guest come But the rich man was too lazy and too stingy to take from his own flock And so he snuck over to the poor man's house took the one little sheep that guy had and he killed it And he served it as a meal to his friends And david just comes on glued this man deserves to die. How dare he he does not deserve to live See what's going on here? See, Nathan, Nathan wasn't just telling David a story. Nathan was actually illustrating to David his own life. Because look what he says next. Verse 7, Nathan turns to David and he says, You are the man. You are the man, and thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of, the, uh, the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin, shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. So Nathan outs David. Nathan paints a picture for David that makes David angry and upset. And then Nathan says, that's you. That's what you've done. The Lord knows what you've done, and you will pay. And it seems like everything is hitting the fan for our golden boy. It seems like his reputation is irreparably destroyed here. Like, everyone knows now that he is a lying, deceitful adulterer. Everyone knows about this. Brian, I thought you said this was going to be, like, where's the gospel, man? Where's the good stuff? Can I just tell you? that God did the most loving thing possible for David right there. God did the very best and most grace-filled thing he could have possibly done for David right there in that moment. See, several years ago, I got mono. Okay, And mono is known as the kissing disease because it spread through saliva. But I can guarantee you um, that I was very single at that time. Um, and so I... I uh, did not get it from that. I'm not sure how I got it, but I had mono, and and uh, mono is the worst. <laughs> it just is. It makes you tired all the time. It makes you feel like death, right? But I was stubborn, so I refused to go to the doctor. You know, for three weeks, I just like dragged myself out of bed like a corpse, and I would just everyone was like, "Go to go to the doctor." I'm like, "No, I don't want to go. I'm not sick. I'm Not sick. I'm not sick." Finally, it just got to be too much, and I finally went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed me some medicine. I immediately started to feel better. I mean, mono takes a long time to get past, but I immediately started to feel better as soon as I went to the doctor. Amazing, right? But for as long as I pretended like I wasn't sick, I remained sick. The moment I got better, or the moment I began my journey to recovery, was the moment I said, all right, I need to go to the doctor. I'm sick. See... In the same way, David sat in his secret sin. He was guilty. I mean, he absolutely was. He was guilty. He was a lying, deceitful murderer. But he didn't want to admit it to anyone. And so for as long as he kept his sin a secret and refused to confess it before God and before man, he remained sick. And so what he needed desperately was forgiveness. But he wasn't going to get that forgiveness if he wasn't even going to admit that he needed it. He was just letting his sin destroy him. And so God outed him. See, God sent Nathan to force David's sin out into the open and in so doing gave David the greatest grace he could have ever gotten. He diagnosed him. He said, you are a sinner, David. You are a murderer and an adulterer, David. And that was the moment David began to recover. That was the moment David had access to forgiveness. The moment David heard, you are the man, and then he looked at Nathan and said, I have sinned against the Lord, was the moment he began to recover. Hebrews 12.6 says that the Lord disciplines the, the ones that he loves. And that he chastises every son whom he receives. What that means is, is that if you are lost in sin, if you are a a follower of Christ and you have some kind of secret sin eating you up, the greatest thing God can do for you is is chastise you and discipline you. The best thing he could possibly do is, is drag you out into the light and let you see what you really are and what you're really stuck in. Like sin is literally killing us. And every moment we allow it to take root in our heart, we get worse. But if we can get that stuff exposed, then we're taking the very first step we need into forgiveness. The worst thing God could have done to David is let it stay a secret. In Romans 1.18, it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It says the wrath of God is revealed against that. You know how it's revealed? In verse 24, it tells us, here's how the wrath of God is revealed. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Here's the wrath of God. I'm going to let your sin eat you. The wrath of God is to let us go while sin is destroying us. That's the worst thing. That's the wrath of God. Let them have their way. Let him see where it takes them. And so by virtue of, of bringing this sin of David out into the light and dragging the secret sin out into the light and exposing it for what it was, he did the nicest, most loving thing he could have ever done for David. And listen to me. If you are here today and you have some secret sin going on in your heart, do not let it consume you. If you're here today, God is giving you the opportunity to let that out. Guys, church should be the one place that we can be honest about how messed up we are. This is the one place we should be able to admit that we're not okay. Otherwise, why did Jesus even come? If we're perfect, why did he need to come and die? We proclaim truths saying that God saved us from our sins, so why should we be afraid to admit that we're sinners? Who cares about our reputation before men if we have a clean slate before the Lord because we have confessed and repented of that sin? First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What are we afraid of? Even David, as soon as he said, I have sinned against the Lord, here's what Nathan responded and said to David. He said, The Lord has also put away your sin and you shall not die. As soon as he admitted it, he got forgiveness. Yeah, there were still consequences and some harsh ones. Let's not pretend that if you just admit everything you've done wrong that all those consequences are going to go away, but you will have forgiveness. You won't be wasting away anymore. And there's the gospel. The gospel is that God knows how messed up we are and he loves us anyways. That's what we see happening in David's life. So yeah, You might be able to fool everyone else into believing that you've got a squeaky clean life, but you can't fool the Lord. He knows, he sees, and he forgives. So don't be afraid to go to the throne of grace. If we confess our sin and we turn from it to God, he will forgive us. Because of what Jesus has done, that forgiveness is instant. We've got it. Just confess, he's faithful. See, and that's where we see the gospel in this story and the fact that God loved David enough to drag his sin into the light and embarrass him. And as soon as David confessed and turned to God, he found that forgiveness. And the same is true for you and for me. We have no reason to hide. We have no reason to pretend that we're perfect. So if you're here today, And you find yourself in that place. Don't don't keep it a secret anymore. You know, Psalm 51 was written by David too. Psalm 51 is is a psalm that he wrote right after this happened. And Psalm 51 is David's confession. It's David seeking forgiveness. It's David looking for that clean slate. And so... for the, the, just for the, the time that we have remaining, I just want to read Psalm 51. This will be the time of invitation for us, okay? And here's what I want to invite you to do. If you have never received the forgiveness of God, and you're still trying to pretend as if you're perfect, give it up today. As I read this psalm, let this ring true in your heart. Make this your prayer to the Lord. And if you're in here today and you've been following the Lord faithfully, but there's a few things, a few corners in your life, a few cobwebs where where you just have some secrets, and just open that up and let God do some work. Let the light shine in and let this psalm be your confession and your turning to Him. I promise you the forgiveness is there. So as I said, I'm going to read this. I want you guys to read along if you have your Bibles in Psalm 51. Make this your prayer if you need it to be. But I'm going to read it. We're going to end with this. It says this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray.